Hey, thanks, Levi, for being on the podcast. Yeah, good morning. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. the opportunity. For sure. So uh, I always like to ask, kind of tell me about your journey and uh, just kind of how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Well, I'm Lafayette native um, and, uh, you know, always had uh, building and construction in the background. Um, families, you know, from farmers and do-it-yourself type attitudes. So I um, was on the, you know, residential construction sites really early in life. Um, and construction always just stayed with me. I um, ended up uh, going to Purdue and graduating construction management. Okay. And uh, from there, um, got married to Danielle, kind of right there at the end of college. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just uh, we started journeying. Um, went down to Florida and built uh, built condos down there. Um, really? Yep. What that, part of Florida? It was Amelia Island. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so cool. In the Atlantic. And yeah, so then from there, um, you know, they kind of wanted to move us around and we decided, you know, let's go to Washington State, see what the West Coast is all about. So really? Went out there and I worked for several uh, general contractors and mostly public work projects, anything from schools, fire stations, um, border crossings, um, worked with a lot of different um, Indian tribes out there. Um, they have a lot of different funding and and uh, resources that they have at their at their availability. So um, did get out there, um, made a lot of GCs, a lot of money. Um, and it's fun to be a part of like big commercial projects. Yeah. Um, you know, the subcontractor relationships was awesome. Um, you know, I saw a lot of good friends that, you know, we, we worked well together. Um, had two children out in Washington State. Um, yeah. From there, we're using all of our time and vacation, really um, coming home to Indiana to see grandparents and aunts and uncles. And yeah, yeah. So we decided to move back home. Um, started working at Purdue University as a project manager. So um, at first, I was doing kind of smaller level projects, a lot of roofs, rehabilitation of older buildings. Um, I had uh, been there for about a year and a half. I um, interviewed, was hired as a general manager. So I was, I was the youngest project manager ever hired. And then I was probably the youngest general manager ever, you know, promoted at least by 10, 15 years. So wow. I had several, yeah, it was, it was, it was stressful to say the least. And then I was also managing a lot of board level projects. So projects 2 million and up like the, you know, the girls softball stadium, um, Bindley, uh, Bindley bio cancer research facility, yeah. um, was really heavily involved when I was a general manager with the architectural engineering selections on mm -hmm. a lot of the newer buildings, mm -hmm. um, like the Bechtel Innovation Center. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really awesome to start working with, um, higher level architects and engineers from all over the nation. Uh, what would you, what would you do with that? Or like kind of how did that roll? Yeah. So, um, you know, professional services are really quality or, you know, qualification based services. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really looking at their experience as a firm, but also the experience of the individual designers and, you know, they've, they move around a lot as well, but, uh, sure. and really just trying to find that right team that also, um, just with, uh, personalities also mixed with all the different environments at Purdue, um, yeah. you know, working with agro, you know, um, agricultural versus, um, you know, biology, veterinary science, engineering, all those, all those different entities operate all, you know, differently. Um, so finding that right, uh, you know, perfect group to start forming yeah. that project. And, and it was just awesome to be a part of the, you know, the, you know, what we call more like the, the birth of the conception of the design, mm -hmm. um, and yeah. really, um, you know, just working through the different plan stages and, and being there to communicate, you know, back to Purdue and all the different entities, you know, as their design is progressing, making sure that their needs are filled. Um, and it was just great to be a part of that effort, um, but also just doing the plan reviews. And it's so often, you know, you, you talk scope with a client, um, you know, the people who are putting the lines on the paper aren't necessarily the ones that are, we're in those meetings that understand sure. why we're doing this and, and the, the reason it's supposed to, you know, bring everything together. So, yeah. um, it was great to be able to like redline drawings and sit down with clients, and, like make them how, help them understand how the building is going to work and process flows, and then be able to make tweaks so that you know they're getting the building that they really want. So, right. Um, and then just my background of construction, you know, through the you know the seven years I was a general contractor, I had a lot of you know good information and you know just 
you know, building materials and, and resources and can, can the way they're designing it be built that way. Yeah. You know, what we, works, what doesn't, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and being able to, you know, have yeah. that fine tooth comb and be able to go through the plans and, and yeah. make sure it's going to be built how the client wants. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it was, uh, that was, that was awesome to be in there. Um, again, stress was, was high. Um, we had our third child at the time. Um, my wife uh, decided to, uh, and this was probably in, oh, 2013, 14. Okay. Um, you know, she decided to step away from her job at Purdue. She was, yeah. uh, she was working in sponsored programs, managing a lot of money herself. And, okay. you know, we just couldn't, uh, we didn't, we, yeah, we couldn't really raise the family we wanted to have. So she stepped away from her job and uh, decided to start homeschooling our children. Wow. Before it came a real big fad, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so from there, um, you know, life was stressful and uh, I got a call from uh, um, a headhunter and they said, hey, do you want to go build the world's largest cage-free egg facility? Uh, oh, wow. So uh, FBI builders out of Remington, they started a livestock, um, uh, a different corporation portion of it, okay. livestock builders. And uh, yeah, they sent me out to, sent me and the family out to Bowser, Arizona to, to start building. Oh, really? At the time it was, it still might be, but these were, these were large facilities. Yeah. Um, a lot of the egg um, producers are migrating out west to get okay. away from more the A1 and, you know, the, the diseases that... Uh, they were thinking they were coming in a lot from the migratory animals. Okay. So, so I jumped back to kind of the private GC side yeah. and then started building egg, egg facilities. Okay. Um, did that for a couple of years. Um, once, once the, once the individuals that were there, um, started, I really worked myself out of a job okay. for the most part. So after the third house, you know, I think they had up to like eight or 10 how, lay, layer houses they were playing yeah. and building and the guys knew how to build the houses. So, okay. um, I stepped away from that position and came, came back home, um, after the birth of our, um, fourth child, Cabela. Yeah. Um, so came back home and started working for T-Bird Design. Um, so yeah, you know, so I got a first, you know, started out in the GC world, you know, worked for Purdue University and got to really see the overall from conception to grave of projects and be not only there through the design, but all the way through construction and be there daily too. Yeah. Um, and then obviously close out with all the warranties and, and, you know, even the one year punch outs. So okay. now, now I jumped all the way over there with the board to now I'm working for a designer themselves. Yeah. Um, from, you know, T-Bird has uh, three great owners. Um, they gave me a lot of different opportunities, pretty much whatever I wanted to do. They seemed to allow me to- Take it wherever you want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm um, kind of led, most, for the most part, led the inspection and observation services okay. out there. Um, did a lot of the utility coordination early on in the plans to help, you know, just make sure that the plans that we were, we were designing, try to eliminate those road stops and those headaches mm -hmm. for the contractors because, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's going to be a delay. Right. Um, and the owner ultimately pays for all the- Time is money when it comes to that. It is. So- no, that was a great opportunity. I worked there for about seven years. Um, okay. You know, got to work with the owners heavily, and we did uh, Ripple and Company, a uh, restaurant on Main Street in Lafayette. It's a cool restaurant. Yeah, it is. It is. It has a great feel to it. Um, you know, I think all the all the owners, all the four owners, including Scott Traskis with East End, um, okay. you know, they all had their different wants and feels of the building. Um, and I think that was really important in the beginning of uh, feeling a place where people felt comfortable yeah. um, and giving just a different environment and look to a building. So working with the, you know, historic society, obviously, you know, in Lafayette, they had their, um, request and demands on what the face of building has to be. Sure. Um, to fit yeah, that in an area of town. Yeah, I mean, it's very specific on kind of what they'll allow, yeah. what they will. Yeah. And so that's, that's good to be a mediator yeah. in that environment. You yeah. Know, everybody has kind of wants what they want to provide. Absolutely. But, uh, no, they were able to, you know, they, re the owners of T-Bird and the, you know, Scott, they trusted my opinions, um. I was involved and pretty much led and actively managed, you know, the design of all that, you know, yeah. um, and was there to really keep, I think, you know, the big thing I think that the designers really appreciate was I was, I was there to keep the owners responsible. Yeah. Um, so often, you know, I think a lot of the, 
the designs and reasons why designs aren't that good is because ultimately the owner um, has to be responsible for input at a proper time so designs can get built properly. Yeah. Um, so holding holding four four partners accountable for you know types of tile type you know the look of the building cost you know how high the building you know the look of it it was uh you know it was it was fun um, it was fun to hold you know my bosses accountable for making decisions timely yeah um but then when you know then we got to go into the bidding stage you know i got to build a, a great team this was all you know private money so sure. you know it wasn't just based upon price mm-hmm. um but so oftentimes you know it is but yeah uh, built a really good team um you know we started this COVID hit um, we just got, you know, topped out with steel and, you know, kind of came to the question, do we wait to see what, what happens or do we go full board? And we yeah. decided to go full board through COVID. It was probably good decisions because, I mean, after COVID hit, material prices and labor just skyrocketed. Yeah. So it was great. I built a, you know, a good team. Um, we had challenges through COVID, um, but, you know, we, we got the building done. I think we were maybe two months late, but uh, I think through everything with <laughs> Whether delays on materials yeah. or to the four yeah. months, you know, and yeah. that's doing pretty good. Yeah. So it was fun to actually be um, kind of like back in my Purdue days, but yet then also I was actually more more working with the trades, you know, because yeah. I was the project manager, the you know general superintendent, the foreman, labor yeah. a lot of the times. On the, on the private well, side, you are everything, yeah. right? You yeah. just found it everything. Yeah. So, you know, it was great to build a good team. I think, you know, the, all the subs made money. Um, you know, I think I, I truly believe that the, the building that we built is what what was the envision of the owners. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it has a really good feel and look. And, you know, I'm excited to see what, you know, happens to Ripple in the next five years and yeah. watch that place blow up. So I think somebody maybe mentioned to you that uh, they could see that building being very iconic for the yeah. next decade to the come, right? Yeah. So, that kind of anchors that end of town and uh, just kind of revitalizes yeah. kind of that area. Yeah. And uh, and then you also did a streetscape project with that, um, kind of once the building was, yep. you know, uh, finished. Yep. Yeah. So, no, it was good. And then, uh, you know, I did a lot of construction inspection, obviously working for TSC, um, you know, reviewing those plans, getting through that, through constructions, um, you know, a lot of work with the city of Lafayette. Um, and uh, yeah, so then, you know, um, we had our uh, fifth child and okay. you know, then I started thinking like, really, uh, what do I want to do? You know, I turned 40 this year. Sure. And uh, yeah, what what uh, what what feels good? So um, Tim Balance for helped me start this company up, and really, it's it's you know I want to be there to help owners out. Um, What's your company called? It's Be Represented. Okay. And what do you do? So the the goal is to be an owner's rep, um, and I think there that that term is uh, it's kind of a new fad term, but I truly believe I can bring a different level of value than owners most owners rep can. Um, I don't think there's very many people that have my experience as far as um, through construction, through design, and being able to see what works, what doesn't. And uh-huh. quite the background in it. Yeah. Back that yeah, I feel like I have a pretty experience. You know? Yeah. It's a good, I feel like I have a good diverse background that can really help owners be successful and um, getting the building that they want on the price they want, but then also being there during the construction time to make sure it's the quality of building. Right. Um, you know, like I kind of uh, hinted towards, I think the biggest thing with the, the aids in design is the same thing it hurts in construction. That's assumptions and roadblocks. You know, that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, roadblocks are, you know, geotechnical and uh, unknown existing conditions, right? Uh, weather delays. Um, assumptions are things like maybe you can't get a specific answer from the owner soon enough that, the, you know, you have to get bid drawings out. So there's assumptions that are made. There's uh, lines on paper that don't necessarily reflect the intent mm-hmm. or that necessarily work. Um, there's never been a perfect plan and there's never been a perfect building. But um, the more assumptions and roadblocks you can eliminate during the design stage, the more success- successful the contractor can be. Yeah. Right? So... I mean, the more de-risk, yeah. de-risk the project, basically. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, so, so I really want to help owners build the right design team, but I also want to be there to help manage designers. Um, active management is, is needed to help help the design team stay on task, um, keep uh, you know keep plan reviews at, at, a, at a timely manner, yeah. um, so that you know we can progress through the permitting stage, yeah. um, and then just help be there to make sure that we do the right procurement method. You know, complex buildings with existing conditions. Um, Maybe those shouldn't be, you know, just hard bid projects. Yeah. Um, especially if you, you know, schedule impact and, you know, we need to get foundations or site work done early. So being there to help with the procurement method, but then I think a true owner's rep needs to be on site. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you truly represent the owner if you're not there representing the owner at the, at the project level? Yeah. You're be, their eyes on site. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's utility, private utility coordination that needs to happen, it's not really the responsibility of the contractor. It's not really the responsibility of the, you know, of the, of the design team. Sure. Um, who, who does that? And so often those utility coordinations don't happen and they result in large delays, cost, yeah. um, just because it wasn't actively managed during the design and, and that being coordinated, right? So, um, yeah, and just being there to actively manage, you know, again, manage the, the contractor, um, making sure that sure. What, what the owner's quality and intent of their building is getting actively built. Yeah. Um, and owners reps that don't visit the projects every day, um, yeah. um, I don't believe they're giving a full benefit to the owner as yeah. far as representing them in the, in the, and helping represent the contractor too. And it's a communication too. You're that bridge between the owner and the contractor to, if the contractor has questions, you're there to relay that to the owner or be able to answer those questions in a timely manner so yeah. that you can kind of keep the project moving forward. Uh, whereas if they don't have that question answered, maybe that's an assumption that's made. And something has to be ripped out or, yeah. or, you know, move forward in a different manner. Yeah, but when they hit those roadblocks, you know, again, it's not necessarily a contractor's responsibility to resolve all roadblocks. Sure. Um, especially if they're unknown conditions to your private building where you want to add on to it. So, you know, I'm there to whatever roadblock, you know, comes up. Yeah. Um, whether it's geotechnical or, you know, existing conditions in a, you know, in a, in a building or a wall type. And right. I'm there to come up with creative solutions, have the right people involved and get the contractor the right information so they can keep, keep moving. Right. Um, any of those assumptions or roadblocks that happen that ultimately always come back to the owner and cost or time delays. Yeah. You know, unfortunately that's the worst part of being an owner wanting to build, right? You are responsible for all those things that come up. It comes up, but yeah. you're on the hook. And so if you have a good owner's rep that can help maybe alleviate those or save you some money in the long run because you're alleviating change orders or that kind of thing. It seems like sometimes owner's reps almost pay for themselves because Absolutely. you can save the, the owner so much more that they don't know the questions to ask. Yeah. As somebody that's a good owner's rep maybe knows what questions to ask or what things to look for in plans or the spec sheet that uh, one one line might save uh, the owner just the owner's rep fee. Yeah. You know, uh, so it just depends. But for you, it seems like you also have quite the background of uh, the civil side and then the Purdue side of you can do everything from buildings to parks. Yeah. Is that kind of... That... Yeah, parks. I mean, uh, there's a lot of underground utilities. I don't think most of the world really understands what's below their feet um, and what really makes um, pub, you know, public right-of-ways and all that infrastructure really work um, and how they have to relate with one another. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of work that goes on underneath the road. Um, or streetscapes. Yeah. You know, I think we've had some conversations about... Uh, you were telling me about some trees that were river birches that uh, have a huge root system that can be used in brownfields or... Uh, you know, for street trees that actually help treat the soils themselves oh, yeah. and remediate. Yep. And so that was really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of new science out there. I mean, as far as like uh, pump and dump type situations where you get into, uh, you know, um, 
environmental issues, you know, whether there's oil manufacturing or some type of, you know, railroad, past railroads or sure. depots. Um, there's all kinds of uh, uh, plants and species now with, you know, that the environments, these, these individuals are coming up with that are do so much great remediation for soils. And yeah, uh, um, yeah so getting on the right project sites early enough um, and saving uh, cities and, you know, private owners, a lot of money, corporations. That's expensive and, oh, to remediate soils yeah. without doing it more of an, in a vegetative manner. Absolutely. And, the, and the, the monitoring that's required by this, you know, um, federal entities, depending on the classification of the, of the site too. So um, yeah, there's been some great discoveries that have been going on. Um, you know, California kind of leads the way in, in new stuff, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of great things out there as well that we can introduce into, you know, streetscapes and, and the greeneries that actually aren't just there for good looks, but they're also making our soil and our water better. For sure. And I was talking to Bryce Pats about this, about the street trees and the, um, the environmental effects on having that shade canopy and even just the heat island effect and uh, reducing energy costs for buildings on a grid and that yeah. kind of stuff. And people just don't realize that that's, that's savings. Oh, yeah. That's saving you on energy you know, cost efficiency. Yeah, and, and Purdue did that a long time ago. If you, uh, there's uh, some time-lapse videos of Purdue in like in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And it's this, you kind of saw that big influx of, you know, everybody started having cars, you know, and there was parking on all the streets within Purdue. And it was, yeah. it's really cool how Purdue, what it used to look like and how Purdue grows. Um, I mean, all those big sidewalks, you know, you walk down now, it used to be roads with parking on the sides and there was no greenery at all at Purdue. Yeah. Um, and now, um, if you look at them, all those streets are closed down, it's more pedestrian friendly and there's just so much more greenery than what they're used to. And yeah, yeah and, and they're doing it mainly for the feel and look of, of and safety, right? But yeah, the, the adverse or the, you know, the, just the positive effects of having greenery. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does have a lot of... Oh, and the, the cool uh, hardscape that you can do with some of those trails as well. Oh, yeah. Whether it's a large sidewalk or, yeah, converting maybe an abandoned street into more of a pedestrian way. Yeah. Uh, it can still be aesthetically pleasing and still have, you know, kind of pedestrian traffic on it, but have some shade canopy, yeah. right? And some of the street trees. And maybe uh, those are more of the environmentally friendly trees, that, yeah. uh, like the river burst that we were talking about that uh, can remediate soils if the soils are bad. Then. Absolutely. Um, because that's just a huge cost saver of, if you do have a contaminated site to take that soil off site or to treat it somewhere else or do anything with that, uh, it just costs a fortune. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, well, tell me a little bit about the good things that you're doing in the community. Well, um, so I've uh, been along, you know, always been part of the, the church uh, youth group, um, here in West Lafayette. And, uh, yeah, we uh, usually kind of oversee and help the kids between the ages of, uh, 12 to 14. Okay. Um, and then there's some uh, younger youth events that we do during the, the summertime. Mm -hmm. But uh, usually our youth events, you know, our youth activities are anywhere from like 20 to 30 kids. And okay. we do everything between, you know, taking camping. Um, you know, we do uh, water sports activities. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, you know, even knot tying um, and, you know, just a lot of games. It's really just trying to uh, get the kids another safe area to play and be themselves and uh, um, just get away from the electronics and uh, get them out in the woods again. Um, yeah. I've taken the, you know, a lot of, the, you know, boys and girls out and we walked around woods and looked for around mushrooms. You know, we pinpointed pheasant tail, you know, mushrooms and just different edible plants. Yeah. Um, that was one good trip that we did. You know, we'll take them out in the others and we'll do tree identification. Mm -hmm. um, teach the kids actually how to find north, south, east, and west based upon, you know, what, you know, what, what side of the tree the moss grows on, you yep. know, um, star observation and constellation, just getting the kids outside and having them focus on just the beauty of the world. That's huge. Yeah. And the, the camaraderie that comes with that too, you yeah. know, just getting people outside and, and, you know, again, having another 
safe space to go play and to enjoy activities like that. You know, that's, that's cool that you're being a leader in that yeah, manner. Yeah. It's fun to get them out on the creek and, you know, walk and try to operate kayaks. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, take them out. You know, like some of the best, you know, camping trips are the ones where you get that heavy downpour and everybody's just so, oh, yeah. you know, you can barely get a fire started. But those are the ones they, they remember. Yeah. Those are the memories, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Usually the bad ones you remember the, the longest, right? They're, they're a little bit more vivid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, did you say you were kind of telling me that you uh, maybe guest lectured at Purdue? Yeah. So as I, when I was a general manager there, um, there were a lot of uh, lecturing opportunities. Um, you know, outreach to contractors, subcontractors. Um, you know, just defining about what Purdue is. Um, trying to bring in more talent and contractors. Um, I was also um, selected out of uh, you know a, a large group of um, employees at Purdue to try to find out how to make Purdue better, what makes it, you know, what makes it click. Um, there were some training exercises at Craner that, you know, I was able to get some certificates in management and accounting wow. through this program. Um, got a, um, a lot of great lecture over at Craner. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so one of the, the big pieces of that, I think it was like a two-year program. Um, it was, you know, there was probably about 20 of us, um, all different aspects. I mean, from sponsored programs to you know, um, academics and mm -hmm. we all came together and tried, we all had to come up with broken, I think three different teams and we had to come up with ideas on how to make Purdue better. Okay. Um, and one idea I had was the construction managers and training. And that was on board level projects. Um, you know, there's uh, cons uh, building instruction management and there's also, um, CMT at Purdue more on the civil engineering side. Okay. And what we, we worked with academics on both sides, um, of the colleges and we figured out, um, you know, what, how can we, how can we start making these projects at Purdue? Because Purdue has beautiful, awesome projects all the time, all year round. How do we get our students on these more? Oh, I'm sure. And the idea was um, part of the specifications, the contractor would have to be to hire a student from one of these organizations at Purdue and keep them on full time at the project. Oh, wow. Um, so that was, it was, my project was chosen. It was kind of my idea. My project was one out of the three teams. And then we got to work with the, you know, the president of Purdue and his administration to um, yeah, insert the construction managers and training. Program. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really great for the students to, to be yeah. able to be a part of that. Yeah, it kind of opens up the departments. And it, it, yeah. so then the students, it was kind of cool because the, the student that was there then got to give like field trips to the other departments, right? And bring oh, other really? classes on and, you know, teach them about the PPE, how to get, you know, safely access the building. Right. Because um, commercial job sites just have a different feel. It's, uh, sure. it's, if you've never been on one, it's, it's nervous and somewhat scary. I mean, yeah. it's, it's huge equipment and, you know, it's big cranes, it's, it's big, large openings, you know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of safety issues. It's not just like building a, a residential house. Right. <laughs> you don't have just two floors or one yeah. floor, like, yeah. yeah, you might have an eight story building. Yeah. Right? And, the, and just the feel, I mean, those guys that are out there and those labor and skilled tradesmen. I mean, they're they're uh, they're intense. There's yeah. a different feel when it's uh, you get 40, 50 guys, or possibly up to 150 guys all working on the same building, and it's yeah. it's tight. There's there's no room to move. I mean, right. You get five grown men in a small room like this, you yeah. know, <laughs> doing you know electricians, plumbing, you know, and yeah, it uh, yeah, it's just it's tight pretty so quick. It's good for the kids to get out on commercial jobs and and feel and see and yeah. and learn. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool to be a part of that, and it just seems like a kind of full circle, you know, ties it back to Purdue and just kind of your, your background. But yeah. um, that feels pretty rewarding. It is. It's, it's good to be home. We're not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, thank you, Levi, for being on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Good talking with yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah.